are listening to the Legal Skinny Podcast with Trisha Barita. I'm a 16-year licensed practicing attorney in the state of Texas. I created Legal Skinny because when I've been invited to do educational seminars on different subjects in employment law and leadership topics, company leaders like CEOs, managers, and HR professionals would often ask me where can they find a little more information on this and a little more information on that. Look, I get it. There's a lot of resources out there. But sometimes it's confusing and people are so busy. Sometimes people only have 30 or 15 or maybe even 5 minutes in their day to devote to learning something new. On this podcast, you'll hear me have discussions and interviews on topics relevant to company leaders. Disclaimer though, Legal Skinny is for entertainment and informational purposes only. Not meant to provide legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. Also remember change or they differ by jurisdiction. So this is not a substitute for seeking legal counsel in your jurisdiction on the current law applicable to you. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Legal Skinny podcast. So the end of 2021 and now the beginning of 2022 has left us with another edition of the saga of vaccine mandates for employers. So let's get to it with Should Employers Mandate Vaccines Part 5. If you want to touch back on the earlier episodes, the last four parts to Should Employers Mandate Vaccines were episodes number 65, number 62, number 33, and number 29. So in episode 65, which was the last time I talked about this, Uh, You may recall it was way back on November 6th. (laughs) Um, That was the day after OSHA officially published in the Federal Register their vaccine or test emergency temporary standard for employers with over 100 employees. I know it's, it's been like two months, but it feels like two years with all that is going on with the roller coaster of ups and downs with all the legal challenges. Anyhow, in that episode, we left off with a quick overview of the OSHA ETS, um, that emergency temporary standard rule, broken down into three main parts. I talked about number one, who does it apply to? Number two, what do they want you to do per the requirements of the rule? and getting into all that vaccine and testing stuff, including documentation. And number three, the question about whether there were legal challenges. And at the time of that podcast, there were legal challenges, but it was just the beginning. On the same day, I published episode 65, the Fifth Circuit, which is of course over several states, including the state of Texas, put an immediate stay on the entire OSHA ETS. And many of the other states started making challenges both for and against the OSHA ETS, leading to appeals to various federal circuits who could then start weighing in at the appellate level. And there were so many federal district court challenges in different states and then in different federal circuits that were all, you know, all going to be weighing in (laughs) um, as to uh, whether the OSHA ETS um, was valid and should remain enforceable. Uh, that this led to a consolidation of the cases into one federal circuit court under this uh, lottery, basically. And this would determine which of the federal circuits 
would be the one to rule on and allow for an appeal of the matter directly to the United States Supreme Court. Now, this is not an everyday thing to see this sort of consolidation and, and this lottery. It requires like a matter such as, um, you know, the one before us, such great interest and impact across multiple federal jurisdictions. Anyhow, um, as, as legal types held our breath to see who would win the lottery. And it turned out to be the Sixth Circuit, which sits over the states of Kentucky, Michigan, Ohio, and Tennessee. Now, once in the Sixth Circuit, um, when, when the cases got consolidated into the Sixth Circuit, a number of things happened. Uh, one being that the Sixth Circuit lifted the Fifth Circuit stay and allowed OSHA's rule to take effect. And it's kind of like whiplash for all the employers trying to figure this out. Um, leading the applicants in the Sixth Circuit to seek emergency relief from the United States Supreme Court, arguing that OSHA's mandate exceeds its statutory authority and is otherwise unlawful. Now, all this was going on after I dropped my Legal Skinny episode number 65, of course. So at the end of that podcast, though, I stated my curious thought about whether I would get my wish of a new Supreme Court case sorting out the power of OSHA and the power of the federal government as it relates to vaccines. Well, let me just start you off with that. I did get my wish, sort of, kind of, at least as to the power of OSHA. Because the legal challenges regarding vaccines, of course, made it to the Supremes in D.C. And the United States Supreme Court heard argument on January 7th, 2022. And since that moment, there have been a litany of memes and blog posts circulating, joking about lots of people clicking refresh on the Supreme Court website to see what was going to happen next with the OSHA ETS. Well, this past Thursday afternoon on January 13th, 2022, the United States Supreme Court issued two opinions, one in the OSHA Emergency Temporary Standard ETS case, which we've all been waiting on, and the other involving the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services Healthcare COVID-19 Vaccine Mandate. I'll touch on that in a little bit later. But back to the one in the OSHA Emergency Temporary Standard case. So... Without further ado, a uh, drum roll, please. <laughs> Just kidding. As you may have heard from the massive press this past week, um, the United States Supreme Court stayed the OSHA vaccinate or test emergency temporary standard for private sector employers with over 100 employees. Stayed. Legal for, you know, stopped it from going forward as enforceable. This occurred in a six to three majority decision. That means that there were six for it, uh, six justices for it, and, and then in the majority opinion, and meaning there were three dissenting justices who did not agree with the majority opinion. This announcement um, and release of this majority opinion is of course huge because even as acknowledged by the Supreme Court and OSHA themselves, it affects roughly 84 million workers in the United States. So let's break it down. The majority opinion basically decided OSHA lacked its authority to issue the emergency temporary standard. Stop, wait a minute, right there. This is when across America, 
all the naysayers of this OSHA ETS breathed a huge sigh of relief and saying, yes, this is what we've been saying all along. So the argument the court relies on mainly is that COVID-19 is everywhere. It's spread at home, in schools, uh, during sporting events, and everywhere else that people gather. It's not unique to the workplace. No different than crime, air pollution, or any number of communicable diseases. That's straight from the opinion. Therefore, it was um, unique. If, if, if it was unique to the workplace, then OSHA could regulate it. But because it's generally not, then the quote from the opinion of the majority uh, justices said, permitting OSHA to regulate the hazards of daily life simply because most Americans have jobs and face those same risks while on the clock would significantly expand OSHA's regulatory authority without clear congressional authorization. Now, that last part about clear congressional authorization, this is meaning the justices in the majority opinion didn't read the Occupational and Safety Hazard Act to have allowed for this. Now, the minority dissenting justices, which were Justices Breyer, Sotomayor, and Kagan, totally disagreed. Believing that OSHA is allowed to protect employees from, quote, grave danger and new hazards, and that OSHA was trying to do just that. Stating in their dissenting opinion, because they get a like a we don't agree opinion, that's what we call it in the law, <laughs> the dissenting opinion, um, that they said today the court granting the request for stay is contravening clear legal principles and itself causing grave danger to the nation's workforce. Yet the majority opinion argued that the Occupational and Safety Hazard Act, which they reference the act um, as the act in the opinion, empowers the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, to set safety standards for the workplace. The court says ensuring occupational safety. The way OSHA does that is by enforcing the occupational safety and health standards promulgated by the Secretary of Labor which need to be reasonably necessary or appropriate to provide safe or healthful employment. They must also be developed using a rigorous process that includes notice, comment, and an opportunity for a public hearing. This is all from the statute and from the act. So the court, Supreme Court said, went on to explain as they're talking about this notice, comment, and opportunity for public hearing, which is how normally you would see um, this rigorous process of Secretary of Labor developing some type of appropriate, safe, or healthful employment, uh, reasonable, necessary um, health standard. The court went on to explain that the act contains this exception, which we're aware of now, of course, <laughs> um, the entire public is now, um, that contains an exception to those ordinary notice and comment procedures for emergency temporary standards. And they're only permissible, however, in the narrowest of circumstances. The secretary must show that employees are exposed to grave danger from exposure to substances or agents to be determined to be toxic or physically harmful or from new hazards. And two, that the emergency standard is necessary to protect employees from such danger. The Supreme Court then states, 
prior to the emergence of COVID-19, the Secretary of Labor had used this emergency power, okay, this power, just nine times before and never issued a rule as broad as this one. Of those nine emergency rules, six were challenged in court and only one of those was upheld in full. The arguments of the majority and the minority opinions were very passionate. Um, I'm sure you guys maybe didn't go read the legal um, opinions, but I did. And, um, you know, passionate wording, uh, passionate arguments, uh, citing things that they, you know, believed on both sides to be, um, you know, the true power of OSHA. And taking two very different points of view, of course, um, not unlike the differing views of the American public. So while we've watched this debate about vaccines and testing in the workplace go back and forth, the legal challenges, the stays, the lifts of the stays, the preparations of the OSHA vaccinate or test emergency standard potentially coming into place or coming into play, um, really, this is not a completely surprising outcome. At least I wouldn't think so to many. As I've discussed in so many of the previous podcasts, OSHA had never before exercised its power in this exact way, especially under an emergency type standard. And now from what we see, the court kicks the can back to Congress saying, if you want them to be able to do this, we want to see it more explicit in the language of the act, that this is something they have the power to do and that they have the power to do so under their emergency temporary standard. On page one of the opinion, they state, quote, OSHA has never before imposed such a mandate, nor has Congress. Um, the Supreme Court says, indeed, although Congress had enacted significant le legislation addressing the COVID-19 pandemic, it has declined to enact any measure similar to what OSHA has promulgated here. The court goes on to say further in the opinion that administrative agencies are creatures of statute and only accordingly possess the authority that Congress provides, and that they expect Congress to speak clearly when authorizing an agency to exercise powers of vast economic and political significance, which the Supreme Court says <laughs> they state this little doubt that OSHA's mandate here qualifies as an exercise of power with vast economic and political significance with the secretary ordering 84 million Americans to either obtain a COVID-19 vaccine or undergo weekly medical testing at their own expense, the Supreme Court justices in the majority agree this is no everyday exercise of federal power and is instead a significant encroachment into the lives and health of a vast number of employees. The opinion also had quite a bit of discussion about how the OSHA ETS applied to all types of employees with no distinction based on industry or risk of exposure to COVID-19. So therefore most, uh, they, they argue that most lifeguards and linemen face the same regulations as do medics and meat packers. The OSHA ETS takes on more of a general public health measure rather than an occupational standard or health standard. There's so much more in this opinion, but I think that this quote probably speaks to the majority's thoughts the best. Um, the quote is, it's, it is telling that OSHA in its half century of existence has never before adopted a broad health regulation of this kind, addressing a, a threat that is untethered in any causal sense from the workplace. This lack of historical precedent coupled with the breadth of authority that the secretary now claims is a telling indication that the mandate extends beyond the agency's legitimate reach, unquote.
So for now, while there's some minor legal issues that will need to be resolved at the Sixth Circuit level, this is mostly the end of the road for the emergency OSHA ETS. Unless Congress picks up the can and starts drafting new OSHA legislation, or unless OSHA goes back and decides to create a more narrow standard and ditch the emergency and issue a rule with the notice and comment period, both lengthy processes that would not happen anytime in the near future. Now, you could see um, states impose these ETS-type rules possibly as indicated by the concurring opinion, but that will vary greatly across the country. So as a company leader, you should start deciding where does this leave you if you want to move forward with testing, mandatory vaccines, CDC mask, or other guidelines. Now, if you remember to always respect and follow the ADA and GINA protections, including the reasonable accommodation for religious and health reasons, you may be able to navigate your next steps, pick up the broken pieces and policies of this legal battle and your preparations, um, and based on your current jurisdiction and the risks within your workplace, decide what your company wants to do. Also remember, this does not render OSHA powerless. Um, it certainly doesn't render OSHA powerless in creating a safe workplace. In the majority opinion themselves, the Supreme Court said they, you know, they just took their general duty clause powers too far. But at the same time, this is not to say that OSHA lacks authority to regulate occupation-specific risks related to COVID-19. Supreme Court said where the virus poses a special danger because of the particular features of an employee's job or workplace, targeted regulations are plainly permissible, such as regulation of researchers who work with the COVID-19 virus or risks associated with working in particularly crowded or cramped environments. This also doesn't render employers liability-free in some sort of monopoly get-out-of-jail-free card when it comes to the workplace in COVID. Just understand that this is about OSHA and that it's about what their powers allow them to do. Oh, and before I jump off here, remember I mentioned there were two opinions issued by the Supremes last Thursday? The other case was involving the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services Healthcare COVID-19 vaccine mandate. So this is the government-mandated COVID-19 vaccine for healthcare workers versus the private sector worker vaccine and te test mandate under OSHA. Yeah, well, it's not coincidental that they issued these two together. The U.S. Supreme Court chose to uphold the healthcare worker mandate in that case because the five justices in the majority determined that Congress had explicitly permitted this CMS mandate. So switch gears real quickly with me. This was not issued under OSHA. This was the Secretary of Health and Human Services that administers both Medicare and Medicaid. See, the justices state that because the statute um, states that the secretary has the general authority to promulgate or, you know, create these regulations um, as may be necessary to the efficient administration of the functions with which the secretary is charged, then the court recognizes that, you know, with in line with that, um, to the major things that, um, you know, that the Secretary of Health and Human Services is trying to accomplish, um, you know, as it relates to Medicare and Medicaid, is ensuring that healthcare providers who care for Medicare and Medicaid patients protect their patients' health and safety um, of individuals who are furnished these services in the institution. And along those lines, 
also to maintain and enforce an an infection prevention and control designed to help prevent the development and transmission of communicable diseases and infections. So in a way, by issuing these two opinions together, the United States Supreme Court, I think, you know, it's their way of showing how they view Congress's authorization of powers differently based on the structure of the statutes um, themselves and how these, you know, administrative agencies are getting their power from the statute. So, um, so there you have it. I think um, certainly this OSHA, um, you know, emergency temporary standard opinion, probably one of the biggest Supreme Court cases of the year. Um, And it's only January. So um, I know you guys are all as excited as me about that. But um, I, I, I know that um, I'm sure there's more to come here as we watch 2022 play out. But for now, I'll leave you with that. And that's the legal skinny on should employers mandate vaccines part five. Thanks for joining me on this episode of the Legal Skinny Podcast. I would love for you to go to www.legalskinny.com forward slash review to learn the super simple way to leave me a review to tell me which topics and guests you like. I value your thoughts and your review helps me support more company leaders just like you to grow as a leader themselves and to grow successful teams. I also drop the link in the show notes if that's easier for you. And while you're there, check out all the other resources I have for you as a company leader. And don't forget our disclaimer to remember legal skinny is for entertainment and informational purposes only, not meant to provide legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. Laws change or they differ by jurisdiction. So also remember this is not a substitute for seeking legal counsel in your jurisdiction on the current law applicable to you.